When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And I'm excited, guys, excited for this episode. We're going to be talking with Doug Stewart. Um, I was on Doug's show um, a little while ago. He's the uh, CEO of the Christian Libertarian Institute. We'll introduce Doug in just a moment here. Before we do that, there's a couple things that I want to speak with you all about. Y'all, y'all, what am I, Southern or something? <laughs> I should be saying yens. I'm in Pittsburgh, but I don't say yens because I went to college. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Nothing wrong with people saying yens. Um, anyway, so I wanted to talk to you about my friend Christian Bates and his company, Longevity Power. Christian was nice enough to send me um, some samples. When I say samples, his actual product, it's in regular size, but... Uh, to sample myself and uh, and try out, and I, I've been loving this stuff. And if you remember from the show when Christian was on um, several weeks ago, now I, I think it was, um, but he started um, this company, Longevity Power, and that's longevitypower.com, um, because what he found out from uh, you know changing his life, changing the changing the way he eats, and through supplementation. He's been able to change his physical health and his mental health in ways um, that were really unimaginable um, to him. So what do I have here? I have longevity adaptogens, which what I've been doing with these, um, interestingly enough, um, since I've been having my little bit of digestion issues dealing with some sort of bacteria, um, right after getting back from the Dominican Republic, could have been from the Dominican Republic, not sure, but I've been mixing these in with my greens that I take on a daily basis, these uh, adaptogens here. And, uh, you know, I definitely have noticed um, some benefits, a little reduction in, uh, in stress, <clears throat> maybe a little more energy, and uh, also supports the immune system and the adrenals. And it can be mixed into a smoothie, mixed into a you know, a beverage, any sort of powder mix um, that you're using. It's uh, it's good stuff and it's it's sourced, it's sourced well, um, trusted, of course. And then this these other things I have here, Ancestral Feast and Thrive Beef Liver. So these are interesting. The Ancestral Feast, it's a Tex-Mex blend. Actually, either of these, the Thrive Beef Liver, you can mix these right into just burger meat, and you can turn your burger into um, instead of just eating, you know, a burger, which is just going to have the uh, 
you know, whatever the, the ground meat, um, from, from a cow, obviously from the normal, um, normal regions of the animal, you can all of a sudden start eating nose to tail just by mixing in this powder and it tastes delicious. You can also mix this into, you know, any sauces or soups, or the one thing I want to actually try is try each of these, just mixing them in with, uh, my existing bone broth that I'll have from time to time, uh, to see how that tastes. So, Definitely check this stuff out, longevitypower.com. Christian is a like-minded thinker. He's a libertarian. He loves freedom. He's an entrepreneur. And uh, he's trying to better himself and help other people to better themselves, both physically and uh, and mentally. And then, uh, of course, if you're listen- listening to this show spiritually, because today we're going to be talking about Christianity and liberty. So, Let's get to my guest right now. Let's introduce Doug Stewart. All right, we are live to the Lions of Liberty Pride. I'm joined here today by Doug Stewart. Doug is the CEO of the Libertarian Christian Institute. He holds a Master of Divinity from Misio, I think I'm saying that correctly, uh, seminary, and uh, that was for his writing and speaking, focus on, focusing on challenging the status quo. Um, Doug, like myself, is a Pennsylvania guy, although he's on the other side of the state, over in Lancaster. That's Lancaster, not Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Yeah, for right. those, the only one in the country spe- mispronounced. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, where he freelances, freelances as a graphic designer and video producer. He's also served as a deacon at his evangelical church, where he has also taught classes on film, culture, evangelicalism, faith. Economics and nonviolence. Doug, welcome to Finding Freedom. Hey, man, thanks for thanks for letting me uh, come on. I was going to say thanks for joining me because I'm used to <laughs> saying that to people <laughs> on my show. Yeah, great, great to have you here. I mean, we had a great conversation when I was on your show um, a few weeks ago. I really enjoyed that and uh, really yeah, wanted to yeah. bring you bring you on here and uh, get into your background because what what you've done. Um, with Libertarian Christian Institute, I think is pretty remarkable. I mean, you've, you've uh, generated a, a pretty large audience. And you know, maybe there's some misconception around um, really how many libertarians are Christians. I think it's a pretty mm-hmm. pretty large percentage. I, I don't know yeah. if anyone's researched that, but... Yeah, I don't. I don't know what the the actual numbers are. I think I did see something, you know, kind of come across my desk a few months ago about, uh, you know, where Christians often, you know, sort of identify politically, um, and <clears throat> you know, in the milieu that we have now, it it does seem as though uh, everybody wants to think in terms of left and right, and you know, you and I both know mm-hmm. that that's not the only, you know way to think of politics and where people land in terms of how they would vote and what you know sort of policies. But I think there are a lot of Christians who endorse a lot of what libertarianism has to say in terms of in terms of principles but they're either afraid of like well what if i vote for a candidate who wants to legalize drugs uh they they worry what that would mean to you know the outcomes and whether or not that signals something about what they think about you know like drug use and that kind of thing mm-hmm. um so some on the on the right they tend to be a little bit more fearful of like, well, what are the ramifications of this? On the left, they probably are kind of like, well, yeah, we need freedom. And then they're like, but we need all these outcomes. And so they're, they're probably a little bit less inclined to um, to embrace libertarianism. But once you have conversations with them, you, you, you just have to break down the barriers of like, here's exactly why something is not going to actually get you the, the end result that you want and how liberty is going to actually do that. 
Yeah, it's not a, you know, it goes back to legislating, you know, through morality. And uh, yeah. as we know, there's a lot of pitfalls with that when the state <laughs> is, uh, we're trying to use our state to enforce um, what we uh. think is good. So let's let's talk about um, Christianity first, your own background sure. in Christianity, how you became a Christian. So so what's what's your story? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what some people will theologically say about what I'm about to say is I, I feel like I've always been a Christian um, because I grew up in the church. I grew up um, believing in Christ. Uh, if there's any sort of profession of faith, I was about five years old and it's never been changed since. Um, I would I would just strongly suggest to people that my allegiance is to Christ and that's the way it's always been. And um, obviously that can falter and waver and, you know, come under doubt and that kind of thing. But I grew up in a pretty conservative uh, environment. We voted most, when I say we, like the people around me and, you know, that kind of thing. It was a really small community. They voted almost always Republican, uh, except for maybe local elections where they knew the Democrat was a nice guy or something like that. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And so my faith was uh, brought up, you know, I brought up mostly conservative. So uh, there's that. I went to Bible college that was um, a little bit more in the direction of evangelicalism than like fundamentalism. Um, And so that was eye opening for me because I was exposed to a lot more, uh, a lot more diverse theological views within evangelicalism. And then when I went to, it was biblical seminary when I was attending it, but it's now Missio Seminary uh, that you were mentioning there that I got my master's degree from. Uh, That exposed me to a lot of other denominations. Like in my cohort, there were you know, there were Luther. I don't think there were any Catholics, but there were there were Lutherans. There were Reform. There were uh, pretty conservative people. There were um, what is it, African Methodist Episcopal, you know, classmates, and they were all in there to do to do ministry. And so it was a very eclectic view, and and I got exposed to a lot of that. So um, my Christian faith has always been a really important part of who I am. Uh, it's I I can't imagine I, I I couldn't imagine being something else. Um, so. I don't know what that means uh, per se, but there's a lot of, um, you know, in the past 20 years, there's been this sort of like emerging church deconstruction movement that a lot of, you know, Christians who grew up in similar uh, tradition that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are challenging things that I'm like, really? You got to challenge that? Like, I can understand that, you know, you you dealt with abuses or, um, and and I don't don't mean extreme abuse, but like just even the sort of theological abuse of like, well, if you don't do this, God's going to, you know, throw Mm -hmm. you in hell if you don't, you know, if you don't save yourself for marriage or something, you know, simple, legalistic like that, right? Um, I... I can't, I don't want to undermine or undercut or uh, downplay people's, you know, abuse history and things like that. But um, I never had to, I never had to wrestle with it on that level, on a real personal level. And so I just could never see myself um, doing anything other than being a Christian and just finding uh, new ways and fresh ways to understand my faith in a way that would, would promote the gospel and teach the gospel and live out the gospel uh, in a variety of ways. Um, And so for me, that also meant being somewhat politically active. And by the word political, I I don't mean like partisan politics, but just having a robust understanding of what our relationship is with other individuals and of course with the state. Um, So for me, um, you know, I kind of went through that movement, the, the deconstruction slash emergent church movement. I mean, in fact, the seminary I went to was very much engaged in like, well, what is this emergent church thing? What is postmodernism? How do we understand it? How do we minister to those who are growing up in it? And uh, I did not come out 
uh, a far leftist, <laughs> um, which we can, I can, I can integrate the story of libertarianism at some point. If you want to follow mm-hmm. up anywhere there, you, you're welcome to there. Yeah, well, let's let's keep going with that. So, yeah. so where where did your uh, your introduction to the ideas of liberty occur? And um, you know, was it something where it was you know a moment in time where it kind of sent you down a rabbit hole, or or was it was it yeah. sort of slow integration? <laughs> well, uh, it's it's kind of funny for everybody. It starts with Ron Paul, uh, <laughs> but I often wonder to a lot. I often like to ask people like who led you to Ron Paul, right? Like and people will say who led you to Jesus a, or who led you to libertarian. It's like who led you to Ron Paul. That's a great question. Yeah. And you'd be surprised for me it's Glenn Beck. Um in the mm. early aughts, um I still have a weird awkwardness of saying that word, but anyway, I'm trying to I'm trying to adapt to it. In the early aughts, I was listening to I I left college uh and I was starting to listen to talk radio. Um I had an XM radio subscription and so I started listening to America Right and America Left and um, I was listening to people like Sean Hannity. Um, I even listened to his, you know, counterpart back at the time, Alan Combs, he had his own show and I listened to a lot, a lot of this radio. Right. And then I got a job with a missions organization for, um, a little under a year, but one of my coworkers was really into Glenn Beck when he was local in Philadelphia. And mm. I just, I loved his sense of humor. I loved, you know, his take on things. Now it was not soon after that he went and did what he is now known to be when, doing. It's like when he was local in Philadelphia, was he very political then? Because didn't he start uh, out I mean, as just like a up, DJ or yeah, no, he was just like your kind of local guy. I don't know. It wasn't a music. It wasn't a music station. It was a okay. talk station. He had a talk show that was local, and he. I mean, I don't really remember. This is almost twenty years ago. So like, this is this is wild. This is before his CNN days, right? Yeah. Um. And so, um. In any case, he he just like I loved his sense of humor. Um, he he had this, yeah. No, he and Stu were were always like doing prank type stuff, and they were doing like I don't know. It was a sense of humor. I got hooked mm-hmm. on Glenn Beck, and then when he went to do like his national, he got syndicated and did all the. He got big. Um, it, it kind of faded f- faded away for me by around I want to say two thousand and six, two thousand and seven for Glenn Beck. But here's why uh, Glenn Beck led me to Ron Paul. Glenn Beck was a conservative, but he he used the word libertarian, um, and he would say I'm a libertarian at heart. And then mm-hmm. when it came to things like the economy, he would have when it when it came when it came to things like the economy, and he had to talk about like the Federal Reserve or banking policy and all that, well, guess who he had on? He trusted Ron Paul to do all that. And so he would have Ron Paul on as a guest, and Ron Paul would talk about banking and economics. And I don't remember what I actually got out of those conversations per se. Mm -hmm. But when it came time for me later to come to the conclusion that, oh, if I'm going to care about social justice, because remember, I went to a seminary that thought about social justice, we're thinking about the emerging church, we're like, hey, this isn't just about a private faith. I was like, yeah, wait a second. You guys are saying we need to just like raise the minimum wage and tax the wealthy more. That that just sounds that doesn't sound quite right. Mm, need to learn some economics. Well, guess what? I learned that Ron Paul was good on like banking policy and how does economic how does economic policy affect mm-hmm. uh, affect humans, affect individuals. And so I decided to find out what Ron Paul would recommend. And I don't know exactly, you know, what I did to dig that up. But it came to a, um, a book by Bob Murphy, who it was really a book about the New Deal and the Great Depression, but it had to do with understanding what happened uh, and economic policy there. So you can obviously we know that talks about the Federal Reserve and things like that. Um, so that led me there. And then eventually, I think I read a manifesto um, 
And uh, I also read some Milton Friedman, uh, Free to Choose. Mm-hmm. I, I often, I actually only recently remembered that I read Milton Friedman on a flight to um, Cambodia with my cohort. Uh, I didn't read it with them. I was with them on the flight, um, right. and I was reading. <laughs> that would have been that would have been awesome. <laughs> uh, I remember reading "Free to Choose" and being like, "Yeah, this is this is me. This is where I am." Right. Uh, so I guess I guess you could say somewhat Milton Friedman, but it wasn't. It was a, it was through Ron Paul. It was through Glenn Beck, and then. Um, the last thing, of course, to fall for most conservatives is the whole war policy stuff. But by the time by by the time that rolled around, I was kind of like, "Oh, Ron Paul is right about all this war stuff." Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my sort of gateway into libertarianism. And you know, of course, when you get into it via Ron Paul, you end up you know imbibing a lot of Austrian economics and all of the Austrian uh, denomination within libertarianism. Mm-hmm. Just call it that for fun. Well, that's interesting. Um, so, sort of, you you were drawn. It sounds like you were drawn to libertarianism as a way you you, you were seeking answers. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're talking with all these other leftists, your your classmates, who are saying we need to you know raise the minimum wage, welfare, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, this doesn't really check out. What, what's the real answer? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm curious. Did you? I mean, did you get a chance to interject some of those ideas that you'd learned? You know, from Ron Paul, from Milton Friedman, and what kind of discussions occurred with your classmates? Yeah, there was. um, It's interesting. I probably did it very poorly. I was, I was in some ways in cage staged libertarianism, although not quite Mm -hmm. as evangelical as as a lot of people might might have been. But um, I did interject into that, and I think at the time I wasn't able to separate a libertarian view with the conservative view of lower less government right the or the alleged conservative view of less government because i mean even i mean as, especially in the 90s and we're not, we're not even have at that point we're not even a decade out of the 90s um people still have in memory that the the republicans are supposed to be the party of small government and the and of course you have the reputation of george w bush taking us to war and at that time the left was actually against war um I think those conversations were tough for me because it's like, well, how do I differentiate in my own mind the difference between conservatism and libertarianism because they overlapped in in the mindset of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, I, I'm trying to remember some of the conversation. I mean, we had lots of conversations. I don't know if I remember many of them. I do remember one, and this was actually uh, a classmate of mine sort of, in his mind, putting me in my place. Um, he was much older. He had um, he had kids that were like I don't know, half my age at the time. I was in my twenties, so he had like t- young teenage kids. And he said to me, "We were we were driving back from our trip to to Cambodia from the airport or whatever. I got a ride with him, and he was telling me. He goes, you know, you can have all these views and stuff that you want, but at the end of the day, there are real people who are struggling, and you can't discount that they are being helped by some of these programs." And, you know, again, I'm coming off as the cage stage guy who's like, oh, this is all evil, blah, 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 blah. So he kind of put me in my place a little bit. And I've, I've actually uh, that's actually stuck with me um, as a conversation. And I have I have formulated since then. I mean, again, this is 16 years ago. I have formulated responses to if I were more mature, how I'd react to him. Uh, although I guess if I could go back, he wouldn't have needed to, to chide me at all. Um, but the story he told me was um, 
I don't know how relevant this is, but the story he told me was that his mom was on welfare um, and she went to, uh, I guess she got a job or something and she went to get either like food stamps or some sort of support or whatever. And apparently she made $1 more than the, for the cutoff. And the lady was like, yeah, you make too much. And like by $1, but she's uh, clearly need in need of help. Right. And the, and she's like, all right, well then I just quit my job. I make nothing. And that there is a, that, 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 you know, he was reminding me that he grew up where he was, you know, his, his life was better because of, I guess, food stamps or whatever. Um, and, you know, I, I do try to, as best I can battle the system that enables, enables poverty to keep perpetuating while at the same time realizing that like, you can't have, you can't have nothing be- good come of it right like i've bob murphy actually said to me at one point i kind of asked him about this probably a few years after that conversation um that um you know if we if we think of positive policies or positive things that happen in the world and they have negative externalities well you you can't um you can't expect that things that are on on net negative won't have some small positive externalities um, in that regard. So, mm-hmm. uh, I was like, all right, fine. I could, I can, I can work with that. And so I think that's why I'm not really a libertarian purist because I think at, at the end of the day, um, we, I don't want to call myself an incrementalist cause that could get me in trouble. I don't mean it that way, but in the sense of like, well, we can only win so many battles at a time. Um, and so there might be an opportunity in the future where there is something a little bit more akin to an American revolution or a revolution of mm-hmm. some kind of liberty. But, uh, until, until that seems obvious and nonviolent, um, we, we got to work with, with what we have. Yeah. And I think, you know, what I've come to realize over the years of being a libertarian is that, you know, often we try to fit the people we're talking to into the same box that we identify as being a libertarian, as what liberty is. And liberty to someone else might look entirely different. Like for someone like me, like maybe my ideal liberty is I want to be on a farm and I want to raise, you know, my my own crops and have some animals and chickens. And maybe for someone else, that's terrifying. And they want to be in an apartment building surrounded by people and they want to have, you know, community support. Um, so I, I think we have to be, be careful with, with that as libertarians yeah. as, as thinking everybody wants that, uh, you know, that same thing as. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I, there are, there are people who have different desires from, from us. I mean, I have a close friend of mine who's, um, who would rather have like kind of what you described. He's like, well, no, I'd rather have the support and I'd be happy to pay taxes on mm-hmm. it or pay taxes to, to make that happen. Um, you know, another thing that, <clears throat> uh, that was important for me becoming a libertarian was that my heart for becoming a libertarian was very much changed by listening to, I don't know if you remember Freedom Watch with uh, Shepard Smith and Judge Napolitano. It was a yes. XM, it was a podcast that was on af- in the middle, uh, late afternoon. It was, I think it was on XM Radio. There was a Fox show. Didn't, didn't he have a, a show on it, Fox Business? Well, Freedom he did, Watch? but then he and Shep Smith did, did their show. Well, that was like, that was emotionally shifting for me, which okay. was basically, hey, there's this there's this family in New Hampshire who's driving around and living in this van or whatever, and they can't now because of permits or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was New Hampshire. It might have been Oregon, probably Oregon, not New Hampshire. Um, New Hampshire, they're probably allowed to do that. But um, or well, maybe back then they weren't. I don't know. I, yeah. I distinctly remember in my yard where I was mowing 
and I kind of pause listening to this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, I don't have the details, but it was an emotionally uh, compelling story as to why the state was screwing individuals, these particular individuals who were doing nothing to harm anybody. And I think those are just the stories that we hear that that drive us to realize that the state isn't all that we think it ought to be. Um, the 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 deromanticization uh, of our affinity for this all controlling state apparatus and and people want to use the word government. I've shifted, <clears throat> I've shifted to saying state uh, because it it gets people to realize it. I I um like I'm now I never say public schools. I say government schools. Um and I used to be like oh well that's what everybody else calls it. I'll just call it what everybody else is. And I'm like no, it's it's not. Corey DeAngelis convinced me that it's not actually public. So why am I calling it that? Yeah, that's that's prob- probably a fair shift. Just just a, a funny aside. How you were talking about you remember where you were cutting the grass, and, and you heard that. Yeah. There, there are so many things I have like that because when I'm outside working yeah. in my garden or cutting the grass, I'm always listening to podcasts. Yeah, yeah. It'll be like you know, as as I'm you know you know replanting something the next year. I remember back. I remember two years ago when I was planting <laughs> these flowers here, and I was listening to Joe Rogan talking to Graham Hancock, and it's it's like it's so. Oh my word! It's, it's so you so associate weird. Joe Rogan with a particular flower <laughs> and his his outrage with a particular action and planting that flower. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. And it was so emotional funny. for me because I paused and I was just like, this is, this is terrible. Like people have to know that this is not that, that their romantic view of the state is just not great. That, that mm-hmm. is, it ought to be uh, cynically challenged. Um, so yeah, that's where, that's where, that was an emotional shift for me. Yeah. So we talked about your, your background in uh, you know, becoming a Christian um, your background in liberty. So, where did the Libertarian Christian Institute come from? What's what's the origin story yeah. there? Yeah. So, um, let's see the timing of this. At at this point, I would say that everything that I've shared so far has led up to around two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. And at the time, you know, I'm in seminary, and I was really baffled why my um, classmates were like, well, not all of them, but some of them were like rah rah for Barack Obama. And uh, I had a blog at the time. It doesn't even exist anymore unless you went through web archive and I'll let people do that if they want to. But I kind of, um, you know, blogged blog wars with the wife of one of my classmates um, about her support for, for, for Barack Obama back in 2007, 2008. And at the time, so this is like, during the time of Obama gaining all this steam, you have a lot of Christians wondering, well, why um, people like me wondering, well, why is that? And why do they want to do that? And and it's, it's very, I mean, you and I could probably recognize that there's a very similar uh, aspirational um, reason why Barack Obama was liked and endorsed and embraced in the same way that the right embraced Trump or the sort of MAGA conservative type embraced Trump. There's, there's a lot of similarities there. There's, you know, the whole Messiah figure kind of thing, like, oh, they're going to rescue us from the, the, the muck that is uh, the U S politics. Right. Um, so, At the same time, and unbeknownst to me, Norman Horn, who is the founder of the Libertarian Christian Institute, was also doing very similar things. Now, he was not battling this from the like, hey, I'm sort of becoming a left-leaning in my theology, but their politics doesn't like he wasn't going through all of that. He was shifting out of conservatism, just like I was uh, a different kind of conservatism in terms of um, theology, for sure. Um, But a, a sort of conservative political leaning. You should just have him on to tell you his story in particular, but it was around late 2008, 
uh, that libertarianchristians.com was founded by Norman. And uh, he just started blogging. It was a personal blog. And that happened for about a year or so. And I somehow stumbled upon it. I often joke that, uh, you know, Norman beat me to the URL by about six months. Otherwise, I could have been the one who founded libertarianchristians.com. Um, and that, I mean, honestly, that's, that's, that's not far from the truth, even though it's a joke. I mean, I probably probably thought, oh, maybe I should get libertarianchristians.com. Oh, wait, it already exists. Oh, wait, there's this guy named Norman Horn. And so we developed a friendship in late 2009. And around 2010, um, I became sort of a regular contributor. He had a handful of bloggers on there. Uh, and then over the the course of the next few years, um, we just we just wrote stuff. And Norman, I would write, Norman would, you know, be the editor, so to speak. Um, well, not so to speak, he would be the editor. Um, and by around 2013, um, there was a need for a sort of conference. Um, and so we held the first Christians for Liberty conference in 2014, uh, in Austin, Texas. And around that time, there was also a suggestion by some people at the Mises Institute that Norman was close with as like, Hey, you know, you might be able to gain some momentum and some steam here. If you, uh, incorporate as a nonprofit, is that the right word? Incorporate as a nonprofit? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So uh, he, we pursued that, um, and in 2015, and I think it was like record time. I think it was. I don't. I don't know. Then it was like super fast. We got status uh, for 501c3, uh, and Norman was kind of like, "Well, this is proof that God exists because even under the Obama <laughs> administration, the Libertarian Christian Institute Institute could incorporate very quickly." <laughs> <laughs> he said that. So we announced that at the 2015 conference um, that we had, and then we did another one in 2016. I wasn't able to be a part of that because it was my anniversary and I was I was in another country. Um, but um, anyway, so the founding of the Libertarian Christian Institute came about through Norman starting a blog, building a, a blog, you know, a handful of writers, and then that becoming an institute in 2015. We had to kind of you know create a logo and do some things like that. Uh, it was at that point we didn't. It's not like we had a lot of funding, um, uh, but we we were able to just start a um, a board of directors, um, and we had some key people on there. So I was a key part of LCI, uh, uh, LCC, LibertarianChristians.com, in the sort of parallel of LouRockwell.com nomenclature there or, or acronyms. Um, and so I was just part of the board. And over the years, it grew, and um, we we had an executive director for a while. He's actually still on our board. Um, and at I think it was 2018, I became CEO um, to lead in content development. Um, and so my primary role, uh, although a lot of CEOs have a lot of you know wear a lot of hats, as it were, have a lot of uh, thing, irons in the fire. My primary responsibility is to make sure that our content is high quality and gets out there re- uh, frequently mm-hmm. and regularly. So how many different podcasts are there now on the network? Yeah, no, that's really good. Uh, uh, good question. Um, I always forget the number because there's one that's sort of like an archive, uh, sort of like it's there as a legacy. It's the the Godarchy podcast. I think there's seven. Um, so there's the flagship podcast, which is a libertarian Christian podcast. That's the one you joined me on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, we released that in 20. 2018 uh no 2017 um we're over at over 300 episodes now we do it weekly um there's always unique content we've never like done a replay uh unless it's a bonus Mm -hmm. episode we've never like taken an old episode and made it like oh we don't have something this week we're gonna just throw this one in as much as i've i've been able to do that for what now six years i've been able to say we've never done that so uh i gotta keep that up that's i mean Um, honestly that that stat probably puts you in like the top one (laughs) percent of 
podcasts. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I will do, I mean, I, I cheat a little bit in the sense that like, I'm probably going to email you and say, hey, John, can I repeat our episode <laughs> that we're having right now? Sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, every, but if but if everybody were listening to just my episodes, they would never they would they would all be unique. Um, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean they hadn't heard this conversation before. Um, uh, or if we have speaking engagements and that kind of thing, we'll we'll use that as content. But anyway, so in 20, 2022, we uh, were at Freedom Fest in July, which was in Vegas. And after that, we had an, an, a board meeting and we were all talking about different things about how we want to plan for the following. And we, we started realize following years, we started realizing that there's a lot of demand for uh, audio content and video content. And there's a lot of talent out there that we can utilize that could give us that that could um, that we could partner with to give us the an additional amount of content and also reach a wider audience. So you probably well know, like you're well. Finding freedom is a great name for a podcast, John, because it doesn't it doesn't have the baggage of the word libertarian. It has the word freedom. So you're going to attract a certain type of person that's ta- who wants to be free, mm-hmm. and then you know. Uh, but the libertarian Christian podcast has is is quite narrow in one sense. So for yeah. people who already know what that word means or those words mean and that phrase means, they're going to be attracted to it, and we want people to listen. Um, and we have a pretty big listener audience. Um, but we also want people who are um, just simply into biblical stuff. So we have Jacob Winograd, who just commented a little bit ago on this in our comments here. Uh, Jacob Winograd is the uh, the Biblical Anarchy podcast. Yeah, there he is. Jacob says it's never too early for Jesus. Yeah, I think he said that when I was talking about how I was always a Christian or something. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that, yeah. Was, that was that was the remark at the time, or maybe he was um, talking the, the, talking about the time in the day. It's ten a.m. It's early, but it's never too early for Jesus. <laughs> oh, maybe that's that's true. You were you were doing that. Um, so, in any case, uh, we have the Biblical Anarchy podcast. Um, I am not a Reformed Libertarian, but we have Carrie Baldwin and Gregory Baus who have the Reformed Libertarians podcast. They are doing an excellent job explaining and expositing and. Um, exploring what it looks like to be a liber- uh, a reformed libertarian Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a we have a book that we came out with in 2020. This is what we did when we were all stuck at home. We have a book here. I'm holding it up for those watching. Oh, that's awesome. Face seeking freedom. This is. I think John, you probably have a copy. There's four of us uh, who wrote um, answers to what here 100 and 102 questions that are answered in about 200, 250 words each. So this is stuff that in theory you can memorize, but of course what we want is for Christians to be able to have answers for the tough questions that they get. And so that's a great book for that to, for, for people to use. And because we realized that we can't answer every question, we started a podcast called Faith Seeking Freedom Podcast. And so uh, that come, we released that Ideally, we release it every week, but what happens is there's like a, a whole slew of questions that come in and then, you know, Norman records all the answers and then we spread it out. And so it kind of is a on an as the questions come in basis. So send us your questions, podcast at libertarianchristians.com, uh, if you have a question for a libertarian Christian. Um, and so there's, and we have, there's probably about 50 episodes. I mean, we started that late last year, so it wasn't, mm-hmm. um, it hasn't been around too long. Um, we have uh, another show called uh, good news, bad news. It was a roundtable uh, in sort of the spirit of the Reason Roundtable um, uh, format. Uh, and what we did was we shifted it to Matt Bellis, who is far more entertaining than just listening to four of us talk. He writes them out and um, 
he we we use teleprompter and produces them and it's it's sort of the um dave rubin style uh hey i'm gonna tell you about what's happening in the libertarian analysis and there's some it's also a little bit of like there's a little bit of daily show-esque uh humor going on in there and because i apparently have an affinity not an affinity a tendency to have technical difficulties whenever we have internal team meetings we're actually playing into the technical difficulties that we sometimes have when we do the show like on St. Patrick's Day, Matt wore a green sweater. <laughs> that doesn't work well when there's a green screen <laughs> behind him. So we just had to apologize and draw attention to it and make it funny. So oh, that's anyway, funny. that kind of stuff. So we have that. Um, and then mo- most recently, well, we, we brought on uh, Mike Meharry, who did the Godarchy podcast. He's got a like boatload of episodes that we have in the backlog um, that are out there. So he's part of the Christians for Liberty Network. Um and then Alex Bernardo, who is our newest uh, podcast. Now he's been around for about a year now, uh, but he joined us in March. First, first episode of in March, uh, the Protestant Libertarian Podcast. Now, what he does is he explores uh, Protestantism and Libertarianism, and most of the time, uh, not every single episode, but most of the time, those episode, those those com- the topics converge um and he talks about something that that converts like sometimes he'll just talk about some issues that are more theological and sometimes mm-hmm. are some that are just very explicitly libertarian um but he is a he is a he's not anti-catholic so for those who might hear protestant think oh it's gonna just be about that he's not anti-catholic he's just uh he's a protestant in the sense of like that's that's who he identifies as so um so alex bernardo is the protestant libertarian podcast and i really hope i didn't forget any i could probably look at it online here mm-hmm. but it'd be distracting so <laughs> i i didn't realize that people assumed the protestants were, were anti-catholic I, I i was raised protestant well, that's what the word means so i mean it, I, it's kind of the no, origin yeah. but it's like it doesn't really mean that it, i mean that's what the yeah. word started as, as okay I know. words don't have meaning words have usage and that's how we often <laughs> use it so yeah that's true so I had a, I had a question for you. Yeah, um, I've heard this heard this said before, and I'm, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I've heard it said that libertarianism is Christianity without Christ. I don't know if you've heard that before, and what, uh, what your thoughts are on that. I might have, but I I don't know if I paid it serious attention. What do you think they mean by that? Like, what is the implication? Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, I I think they mean that it, it gives you. Um, Sort of some of the principles of um, Christianity. Oh, I see. You know, without having, you know, actually Christ, mm-hmm. who I mean, is is dying for your sins and giving you that yeah. avenue to to God. But um, it's still libertarianism is, is giving you the the not really the moral compass on earth, but you know, is telling you you know not to hurt other people. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of the golden rule treat others as you so would like, like an anonymous treated. Christ, but it doesn't name him kind of thing. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would actually make that accusation against woke, the woke religion. It's like, cause there's like, <laughs> I think not that's only a fair point. Yeah. Christ, cause it's that it had like, there's literally no redemption in their religion. Like there's no mm-hmm. way it's just perpetual penance and, and heaping ashes upon oneself. If you're white, um, <laughs> Christianity without Christ. I, I think what people are probably getting at to that is that, and this is the the mistake that a lot of Christians who don't embrace libertarianism uh, think about libertarianism is that they think it's a uh, all encompassing worldview. And I'm using that whole phrase because that's what Al Mohler did when he debated Norman Horn about like eight years ago on uh, it was probably a 20 minute uh, episode with Julie Royce. Um, I forget the actual name of the 
uh, of the episode, but or the the show, which has now been uh, discontinued. But um, she interviewed Norman, interviewed uh, or had a discussion between Norman and Al Moeller, who's president uh, president of the Southern Baptist Seminary. Um, he wanted libertarianism to be an all encompassing worldview because that way he could reject it. And it is not. In fact, we actually say that in a way, uh, uh, libertarianism, like John, you probably know that soteriology is the doctrine of salvation and ecclesiology is the doctrine of the church. And so we would see as our view of politics being libertarian as one of those like segments of theology. So how does the church think about Angels, it's called angelology. How does the tr- how how do Christians think about uh, the church? It's ecclesiology. How do Christians think mm-hmm. about politics? We don't have an ology that we've come up with. Or we've tried to come up with something that's more catchy, but uh, it's p- politicalology, whatever. Like that's where we fit that. And to be consistent in your Christian faith, for those who are into like systematic theology, those things kind of have to work together and be compatible with one another. And so we feel like if you were a libertarian, this would be your most, you'd be, you'd be the most consistent Christian in your thinking. Um, if, if you adopted libertarianism as opposed to, you know, conservative political values or, um, or left, left leaning political mm-hmm. values. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I think that makes sense. And I think you made a, a really good point at the beginning that really, I think that does align more with, with the woke, um, you know the the woke culture, in that yeah, there there is no redemption. There is yeah. there's just there's just suffering. Really, there, yeah. there's there, yeah. there's no way out. Um, and it's it's a it's a bleak, it's a bleak outlook. And I, I don't know. I'm I'm curious to get your opinion on, on where you see really that going, and where you see this sort of culture war that is I think yeah. has been reignited in the past couple of years here. Um, how you kind of envision this playing out? Oh man. I don't, I don't want to depress your listeners. We're almost done here. I mean, this is, I, I have to say, I have my moments of despair and, and, and I don't mean that in like, I just think it's, I, I'm not black pilled. I am mm-hmm. for the most part, white pilled. Um, I wish there were a purple pill, by the way, just saying that out there. I, nobody talks about the purple pill. Anyway, what would the purple, um, what would the purple pill be? Well, I don't know, but there's a red <laughs> pill. There's a blue pill. There's a white pill and there's a black pill. And us libertarians are like, where's the purple pill? Anyway, we can we can we can we can uh, workshop that sometime. <laughs> um, so where do I see this going? Um, positively, I think it will wake people up. Ironically, that's a funny way to say that. Of course, um, in that I don't believe people paid attention to the culture wars because I think. I should say the the moderate Christian and the moderate American probably didn't pay attention to the culture wars because it became an embattled um, situation. And mm-hmm. so what I mean by that is you always you're always going to have your people who are on the right fighting the culture war because well we need to either take America back for Jesus or we just need to preserve our ability to 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 say that homosexuality is a sin, right? Like mm-hmm. you're going to have, like, we don't want our church being, being, you know, D nonprofited. It's not a word, but I just made it up. So it is. Um, we, we don't want our church to lose nonprofit status just because the preacher says something right um, on. So you're, you're always going to have that crowd and they, they exist for a reason and they, they serve a certain purpose. You're also going to have people on the left who are going to be pushing things in a certain direction and, and you're also going to have those people 
use the term culture war as an epithet against those who actually are calling out things that are going wrong in society. Um, and so I think James Lindsay does a really good job of pointing out the tactics. And I don't think there's a way to see this any other way. I mean, there is, but I don't think, I think it's pretty clear that here's what happens. You do something that then gets in a, a reaction out of people and maybe an overreaction. And then what you do is you draw attention to the overreaction as if that's irrational or to the reaction as if that's an mm-hmm. overreaction or irrational. So what you'll, what you'll see by those on the left um, is you'll, you'll see the memes posted that say, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis says this about trans people, but that's not what's really happening. Right. And so they use that as fuel to say, look at how crazy out there these people, they they're kind of painting them as conspiracy theorists or as the extreme, even when they're literally saying no in this city, like they're, they're stating facts. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the reaction is overblown and that kind of, Oh, well, we don't want that. Um, you know, we're not, we're not groomers. We're not this or that. I just got you kicked off of YouTube if you're on it, but <laughs> um, just by saying the word um, we're not that. And there's that sort of Mott and Bailey tactic where they just kind of retreat to the safe position and say, well, no, that's not what we're doing. But they're also using the idea that there is a backlash against some stuff that the left is out there producing or or out there asking for. And some of it is actually nonviolent and okay if it's voluntary. And I don't mean the things I just said, but um, some of those things just happen to be like, well, okay, you live and let live. You are in San Francisco. We expect you to behave that way. Um, So... They're using the reaction to instigate a to instigate um, intolerance against that kind of reaction, and so that will be used to actually to oppress or repress or suppress the the intolerance of what they would call radical tolerance. Um, mm-hmm. So I might be using that term wrongly, but uh, in any case, how do I see this playing out? I think we have to be very, very wise at how we react to the woke religion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in some regard, there is a very, there's a very re- real presence that is, I don't know what everybody thinks of demons and whether or not they're like real and invisible out there doing things, but whatever, whatever one's I, theology is about demons. I believe in demons. Okay. So whatever one's theology is about demons, there is something going on out there. And I don't think you can explain any of this without that. Mm-hmm. Because I don't believe that there is this uh, conspiracy to by the left, by the woke left, by the transgender. I don't see that as like a, you know, back in the 90s, there was this vast white right wing conspiracy as a thing, right? There was that phrase out there that I think it was Hillary Clinton who popularized this. Oh, there's this, you know, the, the, the right things, there's this vast conspiracy. I don't go down that road. I think that there are just a lot of players and there's a zeitgeist that is pushing people in a certain direction. And those things are being um, corrupted and they're being influenced in, in the way that we would ascribe to, to demons and to the Satan, to Mm -hmm. to the devil. And so even James Lindsay tweeted that he did like a whole day long study of demons and stuff. And he's like, well, I don't believe in God or demons, but like this whole, this totally helps explain things. Like this is a way (laughs) to explain what's happening. I'm like, Jeez, guy, come on. <laughs> um, open, open up a little bit. Come on. So so there it is. Um, th- th- we need to pray. We need to mm-hmm. um, be wise. Um, was it the phrase uh, that Jesus said, uh, wise as serpents and harmless as dove, doves? 
Um, we need to do that. I do believe there is room to listen to those who are on. I, I don't mean to be pejorative when I talk about the woke religion, because just like any person, they could just be caught up in it without realizing it. Um, some people are activists and they know what they're doing. Some people truly know how deceptive it is and they get a kick out of the power trip or whatever. But there are people who are into things that they don't realize that it's dangerous and we can have compassion on them. There are people who are at risk. There are transgender individuals who are physically at harm and at risk due to discrimination and due to hatred, bigotry. Like Bigotry does exist. Mm-hmm. I'm okay saying that. That doesn't mean that it explains everything. That doesn't mean that just because somebody doesn't want you to have certain rights uh, or different rights or some special you know, allowances or whatever, that they're a bigot. Um, so we have to be careful there. But I, I think it's okay to have compassion and pursue ways in which we can listen to the other side. Because um, if all we're going to do is uh, join, join up on this side, when this side is in large part hurting and in pain, then we're, we're not actually going to make this end well. Um, it, maybe, maybe it'll, maybe we'll have a national divorce and peacefully done, but I don't know if that's necessarily a, a positive outcome. I think it's a legit outcome. Um, it might be mm-hmm. good. Um, but it's not a guarantee that it is. Yeah. I, I think, and I, I was gonna say my greatest fear, I'm not sure if, if it's my greatest fear, but a fear that I have is, is really the response to the woke religion from the right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these things do act like pendulums and, and they swing back and forth. Yeah, And yeah, yep, we do have yep. to be very, very careful in, uh, in how we, how we respond yeah. and, and how we resist, um, really. Yeah. What is, what is occurring with, you know, with these yeah. demons that are, that are acting out in our world today? Um, yeah, I, I have one thing to say to that. And the reason that I, got into understanding the the woke left. Um, well, two reasons. One is John McWhorter wrote a book about it, and I read everything by John McWhorter because he's a linguist and I really like him. But, um, and, but the other thing was I keep hearing, this is about two, three years ago, the right, like politicians on the right, were just going crazy and making what it seemed to be overblown reactions to one school doing something that, you know, had drag queens come in for the library or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that they called it an epidemic of, you know, transgender activism and all that. And I'm like, all right, are they really overblowing this? And so, you know, I looked into it and understanding this and it led me down to, you know, understanding and looking into critical theory, critical race theory. Um, I, some Christians on the left that I trust, you know, we're talking about critical race theory as if it's, you know, just a field of study in the same way that you might study psychology or economics or whatever. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, and that, again, the whole idea that as soon as someone says critical race theory, and you're a person who's on the right, the person on the left is going to say, you don't even know what that is. And no, we're not teaching it and no, and all that. And so it's just, it just basically, it puts them in a position for us, for them to legitimately react to the over, overreaction. Right. And so I'm kind of like, all right, I'm pretty sure that Ron DeSantis is not, or sorry, somebody like Mitch McConnell is not steeped in understanding critical race theory. He saw one little thing. Somebody on his staff said, well, this is critical race theory. Use that word because that's going to galvanize the right. And so mm-hmm. and it does. 
Um, and I'm kind of like, nah, this isn't the right way to look at this. So I looked into it, and it turns out that they're probably not quite that overblown. Um, but at the same time, it's the reaction, like you said, is just it, it's going to be dangerous. Um, yeah. And so I can understand why people want to call it fascism for Ron DeSantis to try to do some of the things that he's wanting to do um, in in Florida. Um, I realize that he's trying to, you know, elbow his way in front of the line for the for presidency, but. Um, yeah, I think libertarians have a really great opportunity to dispel the myths on both sides and also to, I wouldn't say bridge the gap, but at least be the kinds of people that will listen to uh, and hear out with compassion those who are actually struggling. Um, yeah. So. Add, add some rational thinking to uh, to the discussion. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's, All that's right, exactly so what I meant to say. We do, we do have to get to the bonus section here. Before we do that, Doug, um, if you could just once again plug um, the podcast, the website, yeah. anything else that you're working on. Yeah. So there's two places you can go. You can go to libertarianchristians.com. Our homepage is going to tell you all about the Christians for Liberty Network, uh, which uh, is not the only thing we do. I know that's kind of what we all, all talked about. You can also go to christiansforliberty.net. But libertarianchristians.com uh, has hundreds of articles that are all about the topics that we've talked about uh, today and also, you know, ones that are pretty, you know, seminal in the origin of, you know, Norman and me coming to uh, become libertarians. There's a whole bunch of stuff on nationalism. Uh, for any of you out there who are going to attend Freedom Fest this summer of 2023 in Memphis, we are going to be there. Not only are we going to be there, we are going to be on a main stage event as a panel discussion talking about the threat of nationalism to flourishing. And we're doing a breakout session on Christian nationalism. So we are tackling the nationalism angle uh, head on. Uh, we're doing episodes on it right now. We're writing some uh, reviews of some of the uh, important, oh, I don't want to say it's important, but the sense that it's become important because people like the book, important book by uh, Stephen Wolf uh, on Christ the case for Christian nationalism. We're writing reviews on that and episodes. So um, that's the kind of thing that we're doing. And then, of course, I held up the book, which is now a coaster for my for my mug right now, um, faith seeking freedom, uh, which you can get on libertarianchristians.com or you can get it at faithseekingfreedom.com. Awesome. Doug Stewart. Thanks for coming on finding freedom. Yeah. Thank you, John. All right. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that show and I'm speaking correctly now being from Pittsburgh saying you guys and not y'all. I don't know what that was at the top of the show, but hopefully you enjoyed the interview with Doug, just uh, an awesome guy. Um, you know, so often you do run across people that you go on their show or they come on your show, and there is just sort of a uh, a natural conversational um, flow that is uh, that is easy. And I found that I have that with Doug. And if you enjoyed this interview, I did do another um, fifteen minutes or so bonus um, with Doug Stewart that you can hear uh, by becoming a patron of Lions of Liberty by going to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty or lionsoflibertylocals.com. Um, we learned about, I asked Doug about, you know, what else does he do other than this liberty and this Christianity stuff to dig a little deeper, peeling the layers back and uh, also ask some really, I think some really interesting thought-provoking questions um, in some, and I think maybe his answers um, might, might surprise you. So, Definitely check that out. And also you can see I am wearing my retro, if you're watching on YouTube, my my retro, no victim, no crime, no victim, no time, felony Friday shirt. You can still pick these up in the Lions of Liberty store. At least I think you can. I need to double check that. Um, 
but go check it out. Uh, you know, of course we do have newer designs. We have finding freedom shirts as well. You can get your, uh, mean age daydream shirts also. So check out the lions of Liberty store. That's at lions of Liberty dot store. And I think I remember, and there's something else that I wanted to, uh, to talk about. Oh yes. How I almost forgot. So last week I said I was going to play my episode when I was on Doug's show on my Finding Freedom solo feed. But I thought to myself, John, that's stupid. You should play it after you interview Doug on your Finding Freedom solo feed. So that's what I'm going to do. You're going to hear my interview. You already, you already heard my interview with Doug. <laughs> it just happened. Um, if you want to hear my interview on Doug's show, if you're listening on Monday, the uh, 22nd, on the 23rd, Tuesday, I'll be publishing that in my Finding Freedom solo feed so you can check that out. And that's it, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hopefully, hopefully you're enjoying the start to spring, getting outside, soaking in the rays, all that good stuff. Hopefully the weather by you has been bright and shiny and you're, uh, you're enjoying uh, the... Uh, just enjoying the change from the doldrums of winter, which uh, being a Western PA, it is a welcome change. So I'll talk to you all next week. Everyone have a great week. And always remember to keep your head up and the fires of Liberty burning.